Well, hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm excited to dive into a stop along the way today. My name is Joe. If we haven't had a chance to meet before, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace and excited to be in this series that we've been in this summer, kind of looking at how Jesus has been interacting with his disciples, how they respond and react to what he says and does, and of course then, how we can do the same. Now, as you're sitting there in your couch or at your dining room table, maybe it's at your back patio, wherever you might be, uh, go ahead and take a moment and go ahead and share the service. Let people know that you're watching this. Maybe you can start a dialogue with them. Uh, go ahead and let uh, your friends and your family be able to dive into this conversation as we look at another stop along the way. Make sure you have your app ready. Let's take some notes together. Let's process these things together. And if you have a Bible with you, we're going to open up to Mark 12, so you might want to go ahead and do that. But it's going to be a great time again as we start to look at these words of Jesus and have him actually direct our path as we look at some of the things that are kind of the most important as he says, uh, that are all throughout the scripture. So we're going to dive into that. This has been fun. Uh, of course, if you've missed some of these, you won't need to catch up for today, but you might want to. There's been a lot of great conversations. Check out our app. Check out our website. You'll see lots of ways to kind of connect along with these stops along the way with Jesus. Now, here's the setting where we're at right now. Jesus is actually talking with some different teachers of the law. He's engaging with his disciples and they're actually trying to trick him when it comes to all of the different nuances that happen to be a part of the law of God or the law of the Jewish tradition at the time. And how can they navigate that? And so we're gonna dive right in. Mark chapter 12, verse 28, where Jesus is actually asked a pretty imposing question. Let's take a look at this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard the disciples, heard the teachers of the law debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer to one of their other questions. He asked him of all of the commandments, which one is the most important? Now, I think this is incredibly uh, intriguing for us to realize why this question would even be asked. Why would this be something that this teacher would be interested in? And what type of response would Jesus be able to give? I think it's fascinating for two reasons. One, we have to understand that we're in the midst of them trying to trick Jesus, get him stumble on his words, maybe even disagree with things he said before. But there's also this bigger context that we need to realize that the Jewish law, or as we would look at it, the, the Old Testament has for for us 613 different commands that were considered a part of the law. And all of these commands, they swirled around. And as, as, as a good Jewish religious person, as someone that believed in God and wanted to follow him, they tried to make sure that these laws were taken care of in their daily lives. But what that often meant for them was they were trying to figure out how can I maybe see which ones are the most important? Which ones maybe do I not need to pay as much attention to? Which ones are getting me the most trouble? Which ones are going to kind of make me in God's good graces the most? Like there's a way to start looking at and manipulating the law that would be on everybody's mind because there's 613 commands. Now, if you've ever had the opportunity and if you've ever looked through uh, the Old Testament, you'll see, and especially in these first five books, as you get into Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, Moses, who's the writer of those, starts to lay out a bunch of this. And if you've read through it, some of them are kind of confusing. Some of them seem repetitive. Some of them are like, why on earth would that be a law? Like I, I wrote a few down. One was don't eat shellfish. I love shrimp. You probably like shrimp and or lobster, all those kind of shellfish, but that was a law. You can't do that. Uh, don't wear clothing made from two types of material. 
Okay, that's a big uh uh-oh. Don't cut the edges off of your beard. Um, How about this one? When the time comes, uh, make sure you sacrifice a spotless ram. Uh, Now, I'm sure every one of us are doing that about every chance that we get, right? That's that's a law that was there. Um, And celebrate the festival of booths, right? Like, what do you mean a festival? What are you talking about with booths? It does explain it in there. But these, when some of these laws start to pop up, we start to wonder, well, why? Why would God put that in the scripture? Now, I'm not going to dive specifically today on why God had all of these different types of law in his word, but I will give you a head nod. Later this week, we're going to drop our weekend extra. We do this every weekend. And I'm actually going to dive into that question. How does God categorize some of those laws? Why would they be there? That'll be a question that we answer for you. So make sure you jot that down or get ready to click over to that later this week. So we have these 613 laws, right? And this is the context that Jesus is being asked that question. Which of these laws, of all of these commandments, which one is the most important? Now, Jesus is really starting to understand that they're trying to mess him up and they're they're trying to talk through all of these thou shall do's and thou shan't not uh, do these different times of laws and they're they're trying to get off the hook for something or they're trying to get Jesus on the hook for something and they're curious what is Jesus's response going to be now here's why we know that they're trying to trip Jesus up Because if you move back even just a few verses in this passage, they start talking about this kind of arbitrary, made up, hypothetical expression of the law. So there's a family that had seven brothers. One of them gets married. This is what they're trying to trip Jesus up with. One of them gets married, but he dies and he leaves his widow behind. Now, the Jewish law would say that that wife is actually then supposed to marry one of her deceased husband's brothers because in, that, in those ancient times, women needed to be connected to the patriarchal society. They needed the man in their life to make sure that they had access to all the things they needed to live. And so the brother would step in and take care of the wife in those ways. But in their scenario, the second brother dies. So the wife marries the third brother and then he dies and so on and so forth until she has married all seven brothers. And then here comes the big law dropping question. They say, okay, Jesus, when she gets to heaven, which one of them is her husband? Now, this is nuts. Like, why would we even ask this question? Why would this even be something of value to us? This is completely hypothetical, almost completely impossible. And yet, not only are we asking the question, not are we spending time arbitrating over how this would play out, but this is what we're trying to trip Jesus up on. And so it's all of these types of questions that they're kind of nerding out on. They're getting so into the nuances, so into the minutia, making up scenarios. But I'll be honest, I started to, at first, when I read that this week, I thought that is ridiculous. Why would they do that? Why would they take a law and why would they make these situations happen? And I started to realize maybe I do that more than I realize Maybe I start making up scenarios so that I can get myself out of something that God wants me to do. 
Maybe you do that too. Maybe this is something we share with the disciples, share with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of the day, where we start to look at different rules, different laws, and kind of instantly in our mind, build up hypotheticals or build scenarios where we don't have to pay attention to them as closely as they were intended. So for instance, this idea that we're supposed to be generous, this idea that we're supposed to give of what we have to help others, have we not kind of justified in our minds that maybe being generous could just be generosity with our time? That generosity could just be, I'll help you with something, but money, I'm gonna keep that to myself. So I'll be generous in other ways. We start to look for ways to get around that. Or uh, I know I shouldn't talk like that person, but you don't understand how mad they made me. And so we start to look for justifications to, to, to get past the behaviors that we had, the words that we've said. Or if we're in some type of a relationship romantically, we start asking the question, well, how far is too far? I mean, am I allowed to, uh, if, if I'm not technically sleeping with them, are we allowed to do this? Can we say this? Can we look at this? Can we experience this? And that's not technically. And we start to try to figure out a way to kind of get by what we kind of understand is the bigger rule. Or it's just a w little white lie, right? It's just, a, it's just something, it's a small untruth. Is it really hurt anybody because all I really did was elevate myself a tad so they don't judge me as much and I don't want to have that conversation. It's not worth getting into. And so you can see it's easy to kind of slip into this mentality, to slip into this kind of argumentative, uh, almost arbitrary conversation and at times straight up manipulative way to look at the commandments or the rules or the laws that are put before us. And this is the context that Jesus is asked this question. Here's an arbitrary, hypothetical, how would you let this law play out? And then Jesus, which one of all of these 613 is the most important? And Jesus is about to go straight to the source, straight to the law. He goes right to Deuteronomy 6. He goes right to Leviticus 19. And he answers succinctly and powerfully. He says this, he says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is hear this, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I love this because imagine their reactions, right? Because they're trying to trick him and they're trying to make it complicated because there's so many commandments and laws to choose from. But Jesus answers definitively and Jesus gives two commandments. They asked, the teacher asked, which is the greatest? And Jesus gives two, which I find to be fascinating. I don't know about you. That's not Jesus just not hearing the question correctly. He's not just trying to get extra credit. He's actually saying these two together become the greatest commandment. And so as we take a look at how this kind of starts to play out, we see that the default way that they're looking at all of this is actually through a mindset of rules. 
right? They're looking at these 613. They're looking at all of these different commandments saying, which rules do I have to follow? Draw me the lines, show me the barriers, show me the black and white nature of how this is supposed to play out. Show me how I can follow the rules to know what I'm supposed to do. And part of that for us comes from kind of two motivations. One, we like to know where the lines are so we can make a decision as to whether or not they're okay to cross. And we also want to know where those lines are because we want to be a little bit in control. Okay, and so they're asking this question. I think this is where we're at. And yet Jesus is implying that when you focus too much on the rules, you start to let yourself go down a pathway that's almost more of a pathway of accusation as opposed to life. Jesus is saying there's something more than just which rule is more important, so to speak, but there's something at play when you can actually show that love is at the greatest pinnacle of these. And so I started to think of some scenarios and conversations that I've had uh, with people lately and in years past where they're thinking like, I'm following the rules, but I don't necessarily love the person and this is how it's playing out. You know, I can see people saying things like, well, I'm right, I have figured this out, they're wrong. And it could even be as something kind of gospel-ish, like this is something I know to be true from God in the scriptures. And because they don't believe with it, they're wrong and therefore, I'm out, I don't want anything to do with him. What Jesus is starting to show them is that mindset, the fact that you're not loving them through that conversation, that in and of itself is actually wrong. That in and of itself is actually sin. Or maybe we have a conversation with someone where we realize that they're 100% fully diving into some type of sinful or negative activity and behavior, and we don't want to be associated with that. And like, because they're associated with that sin, I want nothing to do with them. Well, that's also not very loving. And what Jesus is starting to point out here with how the law works is that's also wrong. That's not how this plays out. You see, I think when we put ourselves in a little bit of a scenario of how we interact with rules, we can start to see how we start to enter this conversation. For instance, if you're a little bit more of a rebellious type, you start looking for ways that the law doesn't apply to you. You start looking for ways that the rules don't mean much. And so, for instance, um, if, you're, if you drive around the Akron area, drive around the Fairlawn area at all, th there's been a detour down the road, right, on Cleveland, Maslin, and Gent, and it says that you're not supposed to take Y Road, W-Y-E. You're not supposed to take that road because the road is closed, local traffic only. Well, I started to justify to myself because I knew that that road wasn't actually physically closed. They were just trying to keep the traffic down. And I'm like, I work a mile on the other side of that road and I live a mile on the other side of that road. I'm going to deem myself as local traffic and, and avoid the road close sign. I deemed that that rule did not apply to me. Right. And we do this with stuff all the time. We're like, for some reason, we elevate ourselves above a rule. We elevate ourselves above a law because sometimes we get that little bit of a rebellious nature in us and we start to look for a way out. Now, some of us are rule followers. Right. Some of us, as we kind of look at laws and stuff, we're like, no, you have to follow it. Right. Whether it's driving exactly 55 down the highway or whatever it might be, I want to follow the rule. I can think of people and honestly, I can think of myself at times where I might say something like, well, I came to church. Well, yeah, but you were on your phone the whole time. 
Like if we're a rule follower, our temptation is to try to figure out how to check the box. Well, I did the thing back off on how I interacted with it, right? Well, I read the Bible for three seconds this morning and I already forget what I read. Uh, yeah, what I read. Like I did the thing, don't bother me, right? We're looking so much to check the box that you did the right thing that we lose sight of the relational connectivity of why that might be there in the first place. Jesus is getting at this that any literal rule that we find ourselves trying to follow that then somehow supplants the bigger rule is incorrect. Jesus actually says this in another passage. He says, you blind guides, you strain out the gnat and then you swallow a camel. Like, yeah, good job. You got this little thing out of the way, but you missed the big picture. We actually are completely missing what Jesus is trying to get across with the different laws and different rules. And so we try to be a rule follower. We try to do those things. He's like, hey, you're missing the point. And that's where I think Jesus's genius is when he starts to plan out and show how this loving God and loving others things helps us the most. So Jesus is helping us understand that our relationships, our interactions with people may not be as black and white as we think. It's not always about being who's right and who's wrong. It's not always about finding a line and making sure that someone's over there and that we're over here. And even when we try to do that, it gets messier than we intend. I was talking with a young couple, they were preparing for marriage. And one of the things they talked about, about kind of the rules for marriage, are like, you know what? When it comes to kind of the idea of our loyalty and our trust for each other, as long as you don't cheat on me, that, that's the line, that's, that's where we stand. And as long as you're not cheating on me, we're good. And the other spouse was like, I mean, I think I kind of get what you're saying, but what's your definition of cheat? Like, is cheat like full on having an intimate moment with someone else? Is, is it actually other types of sexual activity? Is it just flirting in the office? Is it looking at things online that are, that are pornographic? Or like, where's the line of what it means to cheat on someone, to make them feel like you're no longer interested and loyal and giving yourself to that person in marriage? And so we tend to think, that, oh, we can draw that line so clearly, but then we can make it complex based on how the relationship uh, plays out. Here's why this is such a big deal. Because when we start to draw these lines and we start to try to say, I'm right, you're wrong, or even humbly, you're right and I'm wrong, what we assume is that God's choosing one of those sides. We start to assume that once I've figured out what's correct, once I've figured out what's true, that God's going to pick the true side. And I think that what's unfortunately wrong about that is that we have flipped who's in charge. We have flipped who's the magnet and who's the one being attracted. Because if we have this subconscious thought that once I determine what's correct, then I know God's on my side. Then what we've said is, is I'm the one that sets up the law. I'm the one that sets up truth. I'm the one that sets up all of, and that makes no sense. God is trying to say, I am God, I'm the creator. I am the one that is all powerful, all knowing, all good. I am the one that is setting the stage to draw you to what is good and what is true and what is helpful and what is lovely and pure and so on. I, I want you to know me. I don't want you to figure out life and then I'll determine if I'm gonna be a part of you. You see, rules 
either way, they're going to they're going to tempt us right into trying to tweak them, bend them or break them. And then we're going to try to see if God will get on our side. The problem when we are starting to use the law as the source of everything that we're doing is there's no vision behind it. There's not a law that exists in today's normal everyday life that inspires good behavior. No one looks at the 55 mile an hour sign and says, you know what? Because I see that five, five so nicely written on that white rectangular sign, I just can't wait to listen to the roar of my engine hum as I drive it at its perfect optimum speed, at a perfect optimum safety amongst the others that are enjoying this beautiful drive. Like, no, we look at 55 and go, yeah, ish, <laughs> right? Like we, we're not inspired to follow the law. We look at the law as a way to bend it, tweak it, break it, right? And we do that with so many things. And so the law in and of itself isn't what inspires us. Love is the only thing that can do that. So let's take a look at some of these questions that we asked earlier, right? We talked about generosity and how sometimes it's like, you know what, do I really need to give my money? Do I really need to do the thing that seems so blaringly obvious right here in front of me? When we look at love, we realize, well, love is kind, and love is not self-seeking. So love isn't trying to figure out how to not be generous. Love isn't figuring out how to get away from being more generous. Love is actually trying to figure out how in my circumstances can I be generous, right? Love leads us to a different conclusion. We ask the question, well, I know that I shouldn't talk like that, but you don't understand how mad I was. Well, love is patient and love doesn't keep a record of wrong. Love looks at someone and realizes, I know you're making me angry, but maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're fearful. Maybe you're not sure what's going on. And even though this situation is welling up anger inside of me, I'm going to look for a way that I can love you in my response, right? And so love brings us to a different action. How far is too far? We start looking at our dating relationships and we start to say, well, am I allowed to get this close to the line? Am I allowed to do this? Can I do this? Can we do? And we start asking, but, but love always protects. Love would look at our significant other and say, how can I protect you? How can I make sure that not only are you closer with God, but how can we actually build this relationship on a strong foundation and protect you from the pain and the hurt that God's trying to help us avoid from the beginning when it comes to these types of commands? Or we can look at, it's just a, a little white lie. It's not a big deal. It's just something that I can get away with for sure. But love, love always trusts. And so love is something where we actually build a relationship together. Trust is a currency in relationship. And even little white lies are small chisels and hammers breaking apart at our ability to trust one another. It may not be one sweeping lie, but as we continue to create cracks in that relationship, suddenly we find ourselves in a place where I don't know that I trust you anymore. And that's not the pathway of love. I remember as we start to think about these rules, I remember when I was a youth pastor um, and, and it was so fun. We'd go on these retreats or we would go, uh, you know, on, on co to conferences or on missions trips and we would go to these places. And I remember I would start a lot of these meetings or a lot of these weekends. I say, hey, listen, I got two rules. 
All right, I, I got two rules and that's all I have to start things off. I said, one, don't do anything I have to call an ambulance for. All right, and they would all chuckle a little bit, but at the same time, they kind of understood what I was coming, at, coming from. And the second one I said, don't do anything that I have to create another rule for. All right, and I would definitely get a chuckle out of that one, but that one also started to kind of resonate with them that, okay, like, can I do this thing that's starting to get into my head? Can I start to push the envelope? Because they would know me and they would understand me and they would know where I'm coming from and they would know, gosh, if I push that envelope, he's probably gonna make another rule about that and then I'm gonna be, and so we would have those conversations, right? Whenever they would push the envelope. I remember one, uh, one young couple, they asked like, is, is it okay? We're not supposed to show PDA, right? And I said, no, you're not at all. And they're like, okay, got it. Well. So they got it in their head that they weren't going to do any public displays of affection, right? They weren't going to, they're going to be on this retreat and they're not going to, you know, kiss each other in front of everybody and hold hands all the time in front of everybody, all that kind of stuff. Well, then like one night walking back to the cabins, I see him making out, right? Right next to the cabin. I'm like, guys, we just talked about it. It's like, what? It's not public. No one else is around. I'm like, <laughs> they're trying to tweak, right? This rule and trying to get around even the simple ones that I would lay out before these events. And so rules are not inspiring. And that lack of rules, it didn't, it didn't incite some type of anarchy, but it always leads us to some type of how can I manipulate this? Love changes the conversation, Love, and that's why Jesus said it's the greatest commandment because it helps us to filter everything else that he wants to talk to us about. It helps us understand everything else that he asks us to do or not to do. And so let's take a look at a couple of examples on how love changes a version of a rule that we may or may not understand. So for instance, you find yourself of age with a good friend and you'd like to drink a small amount of alcohol, right? That's fine, no big deal, right? Well, what if you're with a friend that either is or has struggled as an alcoholic? Suddenly, that thing that at the moment you're like, that's okay, if it's about love, is not okay. We can't enter into that situation and say, I'm actually loving my friend the best by waving this drink in front of them when I know the type of pain and struggles they've had. You see, love is always gonna supersede the rule. No matter what rule we come up with, love is gonna go above and beyond. Love is gonna help us interpret whatever it is that's in front of us. And so it doesn't matter if something is technically okay, if it hurts others, if it reminds someone of a traumatic experience, you stop. If you realize, right, that it's offensive to them, you double click and you realize maybe this isn't something that we should do. If you realize that your actions are a stumbling block to someone else and making them go down a dark path, you, you stop, right? And if you realize that it brings dishonor to God, you quit, right? Love supersedes the rule. When we understand that we wanna love the relationship, love the person more than just trying to follow the rules, it informs how we navigate those situations. Now, different example, if I wanna show love to my neighbor, right? I wanna show them that I care for them, that I'm here for them, that Jesus loves them. You're gonna bring them peanut butter cookies, right? Like that's the way to show them love. 
Well, not if they have a peanut allergy. That's probably more what you do to someone you hate. Just kidding, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that, right? You do want to bring peanut butter cookies to me. That would be a great way to show me that you love me. That'd be awesome. I'll give you my address later. But if you want to love someone, we also have to realize that love is personal. Love interacts with each individual uniquely. There are things that, they, that, that mean something to them, right? And so I remember uh, my wife, when I first brought her a rose, she thought it was super cute. She thought it was great. She's like, wow, this is kind of neat that this guy brought me a rose. Well, I later learned that roses aren't her thing. At the moment, it was cool. It was nice because some guy that she liked brought it to her. That was personal. But then as I realized in the relationship that that wasn't going to make sense, I did something that was more to her liking. I started getting her her favorite flowers if I bought her flowers because love is a personal thing. As we navigate this season that we're in, you might say, you know what, I'm going to take cookies over to my neighbor. I know they're going through a hard time. And cookies might end up being a nice gesture, right? But... What if they're gluten-free? Like the gesture's nice, but the, it didn't go as far as you wanted it. Or what if they don't need cookies? What if they need help through this crazy school season? What if they're going nuts and just need a break? Can someone come over and watch my kids for an hour? What if, what if they have no idea where to start with school and it's totally boggling their mind? What if their work schedule is so intense That's the only way they can provide for their family, but they can't be there in real time with their kids. It's a way for us to love people personally. Where are they at? What would express the most love? We can look at things and say like, well, cookies is a great way to express love, but what would personally interact with their need and their situation the best? Now, Another place that we could look is, well, what if something seems arbitrary and it's not really that big a deal and I I can't really find any rules or laws about it? That means I can just do whatever I want, right? Like I can just do what feels right to me. Well, I don't think that that works out very well either. For instance, some of you have pointed out over the last few weeks that I shaved my beard off again, right? Well, that's because there are two people in my life that I love more than anyone else besides Jesus himself, and that's my wife and my daughter. And you know the two people who don't like it when I have a beard? is my wife and my daughter, right? They both, when they get close to me, they don't like the way a beard feels. And so for me to love them better, right, I shaved it off. Now, I even prefer to have a beard, but it's not a big deal to me because I want to love them because what else is love? Love is relational, Right? Love is something that we actually look at the relationship and we ask ourselves, how can I build into our bond? How can I build into our connectedness? How can I do something that loves you in a way that brings us closer together? Now, this, this is a big deal with people. This is a big deal. Maybe it's a family member or a community member. Maybe it's your actual physical neighbor. And who is going to determine what it takes to make them feel loved is how you build the relationship. It's things that you can't know right away. It's why consistent engagement, consistent relationship over time always tends to be the most powerful way to influence someone's life because it's relational and it's intentional. We allow ourselves to figure out how can I love this person in a beautiful way, in a way that means something to them, in a way that communicates I'm paying attention to you and what you like. 
Now, we may figure out that, you know what, I have this friend and I love texting them at night and I love shooting them messages and funny pictures and all this kind of stuff. And we always do it. They absolutely love it. And it's fine, right? It doesn't matter how the world changes. It doesn't matter what changes in our life. We can always do the same thing, right? Well, what if that person gets married? What if suddenly you find yourself texting a married man or a married woman in the middle of the night that was your friend before and now is it getting awkward? Maybe they got, suddenly they have early morning responsibilities and you're used to texting them at one or two in the morning and all of a sudden like, hey, I, I gotta wake up in four hours. Like I can't, I can't respond back and forth at this time, right? The reason that this kind of role, we, we wanna kind of like step our foot down and almost get a principle of like, no, I'm allowed to do that. We've always done that. It's always worked that way. Why can't I love, when we look at it through the context of love, love allows for growth. You see, instead of us drawing the lines of what's right and wrong in those scenarios, we see that love in that relationship will grow and it will mature and things will change. And we just find new ways to love each other. When you're first in a dating relationship or you find yourself early on in a marriage, you may just want to hold each other's hands every time you're in the same room together. You always want to sit next together. You always want to intertwine your fingers. You want to show that you absolutely love each other. And when you grow a little bit older, you may realize that the way that we can love each other the most is by actually letting you have a little bit of free time to yourself, right? Like it, it's not so much that you don't wanna be together, it's just, hey, I gotta, I gotta have a little bit of quiet time. I need to get some voices out of my head. I need to spend some time with God. I need a little bit of time to refresh. And so even when you get older still, you may realize that it, now loving that person is a deep tissue massage to, to help them through their chronic back pain, right? Love grows, right? And it can be as practical as those things, or it can even be super subtle. It can be different lines that you have to draw with friends, but love grows. And so instead of just looking at the black and white of how a rule plays out or how a principle is engaged in your life, we allow for those things to adjust and mature and change. Now, if I understand how humanity works, if I, understand, I know how my mind works. I know how my heart works. If I had to guess, some of you are already doing some of that tweaking math with some of these examples. And you're starting to look at things like, well, I mean, my boyfriend says that he feels more loved when I do these things. So is that how I start with love? Or, well, my, my friend says that it's no big deal if I drink in front of him. So it's okay, even though he does or used to struggle with that, that he, it, this doesn't bother him. Well, my political party says that it's an antiquated mindset if I think that way and I have those thoughts. So love really looks like this. Or, well, my boss and I, we make more money, right? When we do things this way, we both make more money. No one else really notices and it makes us both happy and it's, it's kind of a way to love my boss. So yeah, yeah, we're going to continue to do it that way. Or, well, gosh, I feel like my spouse just, just isn't the same person that I married. And, and so, and we start to define love when it comes how to love other people. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, we're like, you know what? If, if, if love looks like this, then I guess I got to make some hard decisions and I guess I'm going to do these things. But Jesus put these two commandments together for a reason, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
And God put that one first for a reason. You see, Jesus says that all of the commandments, all of the rules, all of those life principles, they're going to hang on the balance of these two commandments to love others, but to love God first. Because you see, when we start to look at the things in our life that we want to adjust because we, we love somebody, we have to go back as, but is this loving to God first? Is this something that helps me grow with him first? This helps make the law simpler because it's just love God and love others, but it also makes it wonderfully more complex. Because now as we look at these relationships, it's the simple question, does this love God? Okay, does this love others? But now we have to find the nuance of how that's going to play out. When we start to ask God for his definition of how to love others, when we start to ask him, God, is this the thing that will please you the most? Is this the thing that draws us most closely together? that begins to finally build the bridge of what's best. And we can actually have a conversation about commandments or rules or laws in a way that actually plays out in the long run as opposed to blowing things up because we thought we were interpreting it in a specific way. God wants us to look to him first because it will engage us, it will define us, and it will motivate us to love in the best way possible. And that's our fifth thing that love does when we start to look at it first. When we start to engage what we do or don't want to do with people, when we start to look at the things that God asks us to do, the hard things, do I wanna make this shift? Do I wanna make this move? Do I wanna start interacting that way? Do I wanna stop doing this in my own life? The more that we connect with God first through our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, it actually begins to transform our heart, our mind, and our soul and give us the strength to do the things in the most loving way. I love this passage that Jesus uses in the, in the Gospel of John, in the book of John. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. It's another way for him to say the same thing. That if you seek God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength first, you'll obey what I command. The rest of the law hangs on these two things. The best way to interact with your boyfriend or your girlfriend is through starting with him. The best way to start interacting with your classmates or your coworkers is to start with him. The best way to survive the craziness of what's about to come with this weird school season is to start with him. The best way to survive with your marriage and you've been cooped up in the house is with him. The best way to engage with people and to love them best is to love him first. When our heart begins to be transformed by Christ, when our mind starts to see things the way that he does, when we start to hear his voice and every nuance and opportunity in front of us on how to best interact with that person, then not only does it work out best, but we can trust that we're a partner with God as he interacts with that person in their heart and their mind. So when Jesus answers the question, what's the greatest commandment? It's not arbitrary. It's not random. 
It's not even just which rule scores the best. Jesus is giving us a filter through which to understand the way to connect with God, to connect with our Savior, to connect with our Creator, and then also the best way to filter out our relationships with our family, our friends, our neighbors, and our community. God, what do you want? What would be the best? How can I be an agent of real love that moves things forward? The simplicity of all of this is beautiful. And the complexity of it is transformational. If we want to allow love to define us and direct us, if we want to see ourselves doing more of the things that God asks, doing less of the things that we know we shouldn't do, then it all starts with going to him and saying, God, how can I love you more? How can I love you more and more and see you more and more clearly and interact with you more and more closely so that as I interact with the other people in my life, relationships are built, eyes are turned to you, lives are changed, people are helped. Love changes everything. Jesus knew that. He said, everything else that I'm asking of you hangs on that. We're going into a weird season. We've been in a weird season. And if we're just trying to muscle up the strength to get through, if we're just trying to make sure that we have our wits about us to just navigate our schedules, we're going to miss an opportunity to find the empowerment, the correction, the strength to love the people in our life the best way possible. And we're going to miss an opportunity to see our lives transformed as well. As we move into a time of worship, reflection, and prayer, will you pray with me that your heart would be open to engaging Christ in the way that he's calling us to himself so that through that loving relationship, we can love others the best way possible. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this clear encouragement that we could be stuck looking at 613 commands and trying to navigate everything and then be stuck in our own temptation to tweak it all. But instead, you boil it down to how can we seek you in love? And then how can we take that same love and encouragement and give it to others. God, I pray that you would change our hearts. I pray that you would renew us. I pray that you would help us as we read, as we pray, as we pause, as we reflect, that you would show us more of yourself, that we would sense that closeness with you as we pursue you and seek you. And Father, I pray that that would be something that changes us from the inside out and we allow ourselves to love others in a great and powerful way that through this season that's in front of us, that kids in our households, kids in our neighborhoods, kids all around the community would find refreshment in you, that neighborhoods, that community members, that parents, that coworkers would find a freshness because of our interaction with you and how that translates to our relationship with them. Use us, Jesus. Show us your love and help us to give that to others. And it's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.